Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibylline's podcast series. I'm Alex Parsons, lead analyst for the Americas, and with me today is Philip Riding, our lead analyst for the Middle East and Africa. Today we're going to be talking about the continuing crisis in Gaza and Israel. Phil, give us an update on how the situation in Gaza has developed over the last week. Yeah, certainly Alex, thanks for having me on. So what we saw early last week around the, the time of the festival of, of Eid al-Fitr at the end of the Muslim holy month of, of Ramadan was a, a series of, of clashes between Palestinians and Israeli police uh, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and around the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And shortly after that, Hamas, the Gaza-based militant group, opted to retaliate from what it saw as uh, you know, Israeli oppression on the Temple Mount by firing you know, literally hundreds of, of rockets into Israel. And what we've seen from then on is, is a series of, of tit-for-tat exchanges between Hamas, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad in, in Gaza as well, and obviously the Israeli security forces. So these have, have escalated over the course of the week, although, as we'll come on to shortly, they've, they've started to die down in the, the course of the last 24 hours. Um, but in terms of the, the narrative of this you know, simply the, the latest iteration of the, the conflict between Israel and, and Hamas, uh, what we've seen is Israel make a series of, of calculated strikes on Hamas's uh, tunnel network under the border between uh, Gaza and Israel and target a number of commanders as well. But all this is really doing is, is degrading the efficacy of, of Hamas as an organisation. It doesn't really have any sort of long-term implications in, with regards to Hamas and, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad's ability to continue to you know, periodically attack Israel as and when they, they feel like it. So um, it, it's a sort of grass-cutting exercise, if you will, in, in military terms. And there's no clear objectives that we can say have been, you know, um, substantially achieved other than, as I said, the degradation of the tunnel network. So as these you know, clashes have, have gone on and we've seen um, civilian, civilian casualties mount, uh, clearly a, a great deal of international pressure has, has come to bear on Israel to effectively scale back its, its assault on Hamas. Been a number of protests around the region and further afield. Um, so Jordan is always a, a candidate for anti-Israeli protests when uh, these kind of tensions kick off. So we've seen protests in the capital, Amman, for example, and also in parts of the region, uh, including Iraq. Uh, and of course, uh, in Europe, there's traditionally a, a great deal of sympathy with the Palestinian cause. So we've also seen protests in Paris, Berlin and, and London over the course of the last week. So yeah, this is, is very much, you know, as always happens when there's conflict in Gaza, it, it ceased to be purely a, a self-contained issue within, um, within the Levant. Thanks, Phil. That is um, fascinating, but it, it's what everyone seems to want to know now is, is, is this going to end anytime soon? There have been some suggestions that a ceasefire is in the offering, but from what I understand, there have been offers, you know, over the last week. But actually, from our perspective, from your perspective, how far off is a ceasefire? It seems, from what we understand from comments by officials in the last 24 hours, that both sides are expecting a cessation of hostility by the weekend so within the next or 24 to 48 hours and and this is although as you say there's been rumors throughout the course of the last week i think at this time they're a little bit more reliable there was a seemingly consequential phone call between uh, president joe biden 
and Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, yesterday. Um, Egyptian officials who have spearheaded the sort of mediation efforts between Hamas and Israel have also indicated that they think that um, Hamas is, is ready to, to stop attacks, um, provided Israel does likewise. And, and also we've seen just the tempo of the conflict deflate somewhat over the course of, of the last day or so, and certainly overnight. So it does seem like there is a ceasefire in the offing. Obviously, when exactly that's going to happen is, is difficult for us to say. But what we definitely can say is, is that the ceasefire will have you know, short-term benefits for you know, businesses who've had their operations disrupted in Israel, whether that be through staff being stuck in home or stuck in uh, rocket shelters, or whether that be, you know, some disruption from, from localised protests and so on. So that will that will cease. And obviously, the, you know, businesses will, will feel the benefit of that. But as we noted earlier on, you know, the, this is simply the latest iteration in a very long running conflict. So there might be a, a solution in the ne- course of the next couple of days that provides an immediate boost, but that's not exactly a, a lasting solution in the long term. And so unfortunately, it's, it's difficult to um, see a scenario where this, the same level of, of disruption and violence doesn't reoccur at some point over the course of the next you know two to three years for example good news in the short term obviously longer term um, not so much thank you i mean i suppose that the problem is what with everything else going on in israel in terms of uh, continuing our coalition negotiations that the reality is that this will drop from the news cycle extremely quickly and life will go back to as close as normal as it ever gets i suppose but you know, what in fact are going to be the longer term implications for this latest Gaza crisis? I, I think this this particular bout of violence has come at an interesting time politically. So if, if we are looking for longer term implications, it's probably best to, to keep our forecast in, in those terms. And so, as, as you rightly know, the the elections in late March in Israel proved to be indecisive once again. But uh, really, quite surprisingly, the, the it appeared that Arab parties or one of the Arab parties would end up being invited into government by either side, either the the sort of pro-Netanyahu right wing or the the centrist uh, anti-Netanyahu coalition for the first time in Israel's history, because it was the only way of of breaking the deadlock between those two uh, relatively evenly split sides. Netanyahu couldn't make that happen a couple of weeks ago and had to relinquish the mandate to, to form a government, which has been handed to his uh, centrist rival, the Elipid. But the upshot of the violence of the last week, and, and particularly the Arab-Jewish violence that we've seen within Israel itself, rather than the occupied territories, means that it's now highly unlikely that um, either side will see going into government with an Arab party, particularly an, an Islamist one like uh, Ram, which was the favourite to, to join a government. Um, yeah, neither side will want to do that at this stage because it's just potentially so politically controversial. And we've already seen one of the key right of centre parties under Naftali Bennett step back from from going into government with a, uh, as part of a centrist coalition. So the upshot of all of that is that you know, Israel will be without a government even longer. There's a there's a couple of weeks left to run for Yelapid to, to form a coalition, which it seems unlikely he's going to do, given the distractions of the last week. And as a result, Israel is just set for, for more political stalemate and to some degree uncertainty. So it wouldn't surprise me that, that in the medium term, you know, one of the, the one of the implications of, of this latest round of violence, and as I say, particularly the, the unrest in Israel, is that there will be another set of elections um, later this year, um, a fifth general election in, you know, two and a half years. And, and you know, it, it if they prove again to be indecisive, we could see even see Benny Gantz, um, the current defence minister and deputy prime minister, stepping up to to replace Netanyahu in due course, as he's mandated to do by law. So 
yeah, it's it, it's a it's a complicated time for Israel in, in in many respects. I I don't think that these political ramifications will have too much of a bearing on, on business, which is recovering strongly given Israel's progress in, in administering vaccinations post-COVID. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, as I say, the, the timing of, of this particular bout of conflict is really unfortunate with regards to um, Israel's government situation, um, which looked like it, it might have been improving. So yeah, the, I, I think the business environment will continue to be defined by a certain amount of political uncertainty, but also economic uncertainty, given that the country will continue to be unable to pass a budget for probably much of the next six months. So, um, yeah, there are definitely are longer term implications for, you know, for the last week's events. If, if we, you know, look in the, the political and, and economic policy sphere. Thank you very much. A case in Israel, as always, of uh, everything's changing, but yet everything stays the same. Indeed, um, yeah. Thanks very much, Phil. I look forward to speaking to you again on uh, this or other subjects. Cool. Thanks, Alex. And with me now is Dr. Hugo Yu, our lead analyst for Asia Pacific, uh, who's going to go through the events for the week ahead. Hugo. Hi, hello. Uh, thanks, Alex. So, yes, that, we got a few events that are on our radar uh, in the next few days that we are watching quite closely. Starting with APAC, South Korean President Moon Jae-in is traveling to the U.S. for a summit with uh, Joe Biden at the White House. Uh, this Friday. So they will be the second world leader to meet Biden at the White House after Japanese Prime Minister Suga met him in April. Just um, uh, just an indication of how important uh, Washington treats its Indo-Pacific uh, alliance uh, under the new uh, presidency. Uh, so Moon would of course be hoping the, uh, the visit would help strengthen the bilateral alliance while not alienating Seoul's ties with Beijing. Yeah, certainly a very delicate balance at play here. And in addition to um, discussions on uh, strategic alliance and North Korea, uh, the two sides will also talk about bilateral commercial relations with COVID vaccine partnership and supplies likely to be among the top agenda there. And if we shift west towards Europe, uh, the most important and tropical events to watch will be uh, the pro-Palestinian protests planned across the continents throughout the weekend. The largest uh, ones uh, could take place in Paris, London, and Brussels, and which could potentially cause localized disruption. However, like we discussed earlier in the podcast, talks of a possible ceasefire agreement offer some hope that um, such deal could potentially reduce the turnout numbers and lower the risk of disruption. Uh, as tension will be expected to subside in the coming days ahead if such deal is uh, is agreed. But it's worth noting that the, the conflict in the Middle East is not the only trigger of mass protests in Europe. We are watching a daily anti-lockdown protest which are planned in Germany for the next few days, starting tomorrow and the, the final ones on, on Wednesday. So turnout we expect it to be significant. And there's also a left-wing protest in Berlin scheduled on, 23rd, uh, on the 23rd, raising the issues of um, unaffordable uh, house rent, which again expected to attract a uh, significant turnout. So you can see there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, potential for un unrest and over the weekends um, in, in Europe with the risk of some clashes uh, as anti-fascist groups are expected to counter protests uh, as well. 
And then finally, uh, last but not the least in the Middle East, uh, aside from where we discussed the prospect of uh, conflict de-escalation, uh, there's a temporary inspection agreement between Iran and the IAEA, which expires on the 22nd, uh, potentially acting as a further driver of tensions with the US and the international community uh, with Tehran. Iran's recent breaching on, of limits on uranium enrichment will be subject of even less scrutiny once the agreement expires. So this will be another obstacle to um, resurrecting the 2015 nuclear deal, prolonging the regional tensions, um, which have which have for tick for tack exchanges with Israel and disruptions in the um, marine transfer. So. That's the rundown of the potential significant events to watch in the coming weeks. But of course, as we highlighted in the uh, podcast, the evolving situation in Israel and the wider fallout will probably keep grabbing the international headlines. Thanks, Hugo. That's great. And if you'd like to know more about any of these subjects or the main topic of our discussion today, please do get in touch with us uh, at our LinkedIn page or at our email address, which is info at sibylline.co.uk. 